Our scripture reading this morning is the chapter 4 of Genesis. There are pew Bibles, although we don't have pews. There are pew Bibles available in the back corner back there. Help yourself to borrow one if you need to. Um, Don't be shy. Again, chapter 4 of Genesis. Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. 
At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, my prayer remains as it has been for the last two or three days. As it was even early, early this morning. Father, I just want to pray that you would make your mercy beautiful to us today. I pray that we would see a story of the mercy of God and understand in our minds that you are merciful. But so much more, I pray that we would experience your mercy today, Father. May the mercy of God flow in this room today. Lord, I know that people are carrying heavy burdens today. I pray that you would help them. I pray that you would lift those loads off their shoulders. I pray that you would heal their hearts and heal their bodies, heal their wounds, free them from besetting guilt, free them from besetting sins. I pray that in your mercy you would drive away demons that have been harassing your people and trying to divide your people. Father, I pray in a hundred ways, if not a thousand ways, that you would come this morning and pour your mercy upon us. Lord, allow us not only to to know your mercy, but to experience your mercy today, Father. I love you and I trust you for this. In the great and gracious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Beloved, the God who spoke the universe into existence, stretched out the stars and the sky, gave shape to the earth, formed the land, formed the seas, created the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the field, created humankind in His image. The God who gave us marriage as the probably the ultimate expression of what it means to be made in the image of God, a husband and wife committed to each other for life, living in love and passion as an expression of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living in such relational passion. The God who is holy and just, and therefore had to punish the sin of the serpent and Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden. The God who yet was merciful to them and both prophesied the ultimate defeat of Satan when he said, your, your head is going to be crushed someday. The God who, who prefigured that sacrifice that would cover our sins that we celebrated today, He prefigured it already in the garden. Like just after the first sin happened, He killed an animal. He used the skin of that animal to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. This God is great beyond what we can conceive, and He's also immensely merciful. That's the point of today's message. God is great But as great as His greatness is, so great is His mercy. It's right to say that He's sovereign, that He's mighty, that He's massive, that He's powerful. It's right to lift up our eyes and think about these things, to hear David when he says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. It's good for us to get a sense of the magnitude of God, because when we do, it puts everything else in place. It puts our problems in place. It puts our hopes in place. It puts our sufferings in place, our joys in place. When you see who God is, everything else takes its proper place. It's good for us to lift up our eyes, see just how big He is. But we also have to lift up our hearts and see this God is amazingly merciful. Amazingly merciful. Genesis chapter 4 is a story of two brothers. Cain, as you know, was a murderer. He killed his brother Abel, and this story is about that. 
Abel was an innocent man, a God-fearing man, a man who lived his life in submission to God. He was righteous and killed for no good reason. This story is about that. But mainly as I meditated more and more on this story, I came to see Genesis chapter 4 is one of the most amazing displays of the mercy of God that I've seen in recent days. This is a story about a merciful God dealing with a sinner who just sinned a terrible sin. I know in our minds, we know that God is merciful, but my prayer today is that that will sink deeply into our hearts and we will experience the mercy that Cain experienced from God in these days. That's my prayer. That's the point of today's message. Moses begins with these words. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. It's always fascinated me that when the Bible speaks about physical intimacy between a husband and a wife, it's, it uses the word know. Adam knew Eve, his wife. It does not say he took her. It does not say he used her. It does not say he enjoyed her. It does not say anything else like that. It says Adam knew his wife Eve. That is a deliberate word choice. Hebrew had all these other words it could have chosen from. It is a deliberate choice to say when they came together in physical intimacy, Adam knew his wife Eve. I take this to mean that even after sin entered the world, the purpose of physical intimacy inside of a marriage is that the husband and the wife might commune with one another and know one another and their physical life together would be an overflow, an expression, a deepening of their love and their communion together. The problem with lust, beloved, is not the pleasure part of it. The problem with lust is that it takes a human being created in the image of God and turns that human being into nothing more than an object to meet my needs. Human beings were not created to be objects. Love doesn't work like that. Love seeks the person, not the pleasure. And as I seek the person to know the person to know my wife, and she seeks to know me, and we come together in physical intimacy, there is a depth of knowing, an overflow of love. I know my wife. My wife knows me. Sexuality was given to us as a gift, as a relational gift, a way of knowing and a way of expressing. That's how God feels about Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are absolutely wrapped up in passion and love and commitment to one another, eternal commitment to one another. As you know, when a husband and a wife come together like this, often what happens, at least sometimes what happens, is they conceive and, and bring forth another human being also created in the image of God. I know in our world this doesn't happen this way. In fact, it seems like it most often does not happen this way. But the design was for human life to be an overflow of the love between a husband and a wife as they seek each other and then know one another in physical intimacy. Out of the love springs life. And Kim and I were engaged, and in our case, we were engaged a long time. Too long for me, I'll tell you that. We got engaged in October one year, and we were married in November of the next year. So we were engaged for 13 months. We were engaged so long, we had an anniversary of our engagement. And on the anniversary of our engagement, I bought Kimmy a little ring. It wasn't much because I didn't have much. 
but it was an expression in my heart that I was so glad to be engaged to her and soon to be her husband. I put the ring on her finger and I, and I read her a poem. One of the lines in, in the poem said, Perhaps someday a life will spring forth from this love to which we cling, and in that day our souls will sing, Great is the Lord! Great is the Lord! I was only, that made her cry by the way, <laughs> it made me cry too. We did it in a prayer chapel, I can still remember it just like it was yesterday. It was a beautiful moment. I was only 24 years old, I didn't know much about anything, but somehow in my heart I had an instinct that human life is supposed to flow out of a husband and wife's communion with one another, and that's what happened to Adam and Eve. I don't want to idealize their marriage. They were broken people, they were sinful people. I'm sure they had plenty of problems, but I just feel in my spirit they really loved each other. They were the first man, the first woman. They came together in love, and out of that love sprung Cain and then sprung Abel. Beautiful things. And I know Eve felt the wonder of this because of her words there in verse 1. She said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now I thought about that this week. You know, it just occurred to me, before Eve, no one had ever had a child. No one had ever been through this process before. When Adam and Eve did know one another, I don't think they knew what was going to happen. How could they have known? All of a sudden, something begins to grow in Eve. She probably doesn't know really what's going on, trusting in the Lord. But then one day, here comes this human being, and she's like, Wow! I bore another human being with the help of the Lord. It was a beautiful thing. And soon enough, the process happens again, and, and now you have two brothers, Cain and Abel. The story moves very quickly from there to their growing up years. Cain and Abel grew up. Cain became a, a worker of the land. And Abel became a tender of the sheep. And in the course of time, they both took from the fruit of their own labor and they brought an offering to the Lord. And you know that the Lord accepted Abel's offering. He did not accept Cain's offering. And at this point in the story, the Lord doesn't tell us why. The Bible doesn't say why. It just states the facts. And it says that because Cain's offering was not accepted, what happened? His face fell. In other words, he, he pouted. He was jealous of his brother. He was angry at his brother. He was probably already in his mind and in his heart plotting against his brother. He was just angry about this. And so how did God at that moment choose to treat this young man? God had knitted him together in his mother's womb, brought him forth out of love, and now he's pouting, he's angry. What's God's response? Does God come near to him with severe discipline or, or how does he handle him? Quite the opposite. The father comes near to Cain in great mercy. And I can almost see the Lord just bowing down before him, getting on his knees, looking Cain in the eyes and saying, Listen, son, here's what happened. If you live your life well, your offerings will be acceptable to me. The problem, Cain, is not in your offering. The problem is in your life. If you do well, your offering will be well. If your life is acceptable, your offering will be acceptable. So Cain, let's get in there and work on your life before me. Submit your life to me. Follow me all the days of your life. And then, of course, I will be glad to receive your offerings. This kind of sentiment, beloved, this, this, this wisdom that God gave to Cain is repeated throughout the Bible. That God is concerned with our life. The offering is a secondary matter. What He wants is us. He wants us. He wants to walk and talk and live in love with us. So let me just give you three quick texts that repeat this basic wisdom. 
First is from 1 Samuel 15.22. The prophet Samuel, speaking into the life of King Saul, who had just sinned against the Lord. Has the Lord as great a delight, Saul, in burnt offerings and sacrifices as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And the knowledge of God, and to listen to the Lord rather than the fat of rams. Hosea 6, chapter 6. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God, in other words, walking with God, talking with God, rather than burnt offerings. Now, the Lord had commanded all the burnt offerings that Israel gave. But what He's saying is, what I really want is you. I want to walk and talk and do life with you. The, the offerings, the things that we do, and even now being Christians, doing communion, coming to church, hearing the Word, singing songs, sharing the Gospel with the lost, all these things, beloved, they're secondary things. God wants us. He wants us to obey, to walk with the Lord. That's better than sacrifice. Finally, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So, again, the wisdom of the Lord to Cain and to us is get the life right, the offerings will be right. I am concerned about you. I am interested in you. And that's certainly what the Lord was saying to Cain. Cain, I want you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to do life with you. And in this, beloved, I just hear the tender mercy of God trying to instruct a sinner in the way that he should go. I don't know, those of you who have multiple children understand, your kids don't all act the same, right? The same parents, same family, one rebellious child, one submissive child. God goes to the rebellious child, gets on his knees, does everything he can to help this kid. And not only did he tell him like what the problem with the offering was, but then he warned him about what might happen if he didn't listen to the counsel of the Lord. Cain, if you do well, things are going to go well for you. But if you don't do well, Cain, you need to listen to me. Sin is crouching at your door just like a lion. Like right at your front door, like a lion, hungry, seeking prey. And it will pounce on you. Its desire is for you. Its passion is for you. It wants to overcome you. It wants to control you. It wants to get you to think things and do things that you would not in your own self maybe want to do. So you have to rule over that sin. You have to overcome that desire before that desire overcomes you. The Father's giving him counsel, beloved. He's teaching him how not to do what Cain is about to do. And in this, I just sense so deeply the tender mercy of God. I remember my earthly father was not a perfect man by any stretch, but one thing he was was very warm and a very affectionate man. Whenever he had to discipline me, and I don't have a lot of memories of him disciplining me, I have a few. Whenever he disciplined me, he always did it with such warmth that the sting of what he said almost felt good to me. Probably the hardest thing for me was that I disappointed my daddy and I didn't want to do that. But I always felt his covering warmth over me. I always felt like when he disciplined me, he was for me. He was on my side. And as I think about the Lord's involvement in Cain's life here, I see that same mercy, that tender mercy of a father coming and saying, Son, you didn't do right, but I want to help you to do right. Now come and walk in the way that you should go. Sadly, Cain did not humble himself 
and listen to the tender mercy of his father, but rather he let the anger fester inside of him. He let it overcome him. And he actually plotted to kill his brother. He lures him out into a field and somehow or other he comes upon him and he actually sheds the blood of his own brother. Oh, what a horrible, horrible sin this was. First murder in human history that we know of at least. And it was so sad because both Cain and Abel had been the offspring of a loving relationship. Flawed people were Adam and Eve. I'm not denying that. But I do believe they loved each other. And out of that love flowed life created in the image of God. And Cain decided to play God. Cain decided he would decide when Abel's days would end. And he killed him. Why? Why? Over silly jealousy that he did not overcome. But he allowed that jealousy to overcome him. He should have used his life to bless his brother, but instead he used his life to snuff out his life. Oh, how wise the Lord was when he said to Cain, listen, you need to dominate sin before it dominates you. I can't imagine how this whole turn of events made God feel. I mean, just put yourself in his shoes. He created Adam and Eve. He created Cain and Abel. The whole thing was his design. He had joy in it. He said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And now, instead of the people he had created walking with him, one kills the other. And I don't know how this made him feel, but what I do know is what he did, because the text says what he did. You might expect that God would have been perfectly just, and and it might not have surprised us at all to see God come severely against Cain and maybe even take his life from him. He had every right to say, Cain, you had no right to kill. I am going to take your life. God had every right to do that. But, beloved, He did not do that. So far from being a punishing God, He continued to pour mercy on Cain. He seeks Cain out in the field and says, Hey man, what's, ha- what's happening with you? And, and by the way, where's your brother? He's given Cain a chance to fess up. Cain, in a very smart aleck, rude way, says, I don't know, what are you talking to me for? Am I, am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to be paying attention to my brother? That's not my job. Just being a smart aleck to God. So God doesn't give him any more chances to say anything. He just gets right to the punch. Gets right to the quick. He just tells him, here's what you did. And I'm telling you, your brother's blood is crying out to me. I know what you did. And then God just pronounces His judgment. Cain, I'm going to curse you from the ground. In other words, when you try to work the ground, it's going to be doubly hard, triply hard, quadruply hard. And the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to banish you from this land and I'm going to make you a wanderer on the earth. And all the days of your life, you will have no home, you will have no place, you will have no rest, and you might be even physically unsafe. Cain takes all of this in and for the first time in the story, I thank God at least, at least it was, it was late, at least it happened. I wish he would have humbled himself earlier, but at least he humbled himself. In verse 13 he says, essentially, Lord, this is just too much for me to handle. And I take by his words that he had humbled himself and felt sadness because I see the way that God responded to him. God opposes the proud. So God would not have done what he did to Cain if he was still being proud, but God gives grace to the humble. God gives His mercy to people who humble themselves before God, even if they've sinned a very great sin. And what did God do? As soon as Cain humbled himself, the Lord said, Cain, not so. You will not be in danger when you're wandering the earth because I myself am going to protect you. And beloved, I hope that God will give you the eyes to see the beauty of His mercy at that moment. Cain did not deserve the protection of God. He did not. 
He had just murdered his brother. But God, instead of being his punisher and and his executor, says, no, I will be your judge, yes, but your forgiver and your protector, Cain, I'm on your side. Nobody will come against you because I am for you. Beloved, who treats a murderer like that? God put a mark on Cain. I don't know what that mark was, but I know what it means. That mark meant the mercy of God. That mark said, you touch Cain, you're going to have to mess with me. You touch Cain, I'm going to punish you seven times over any punishment that I've given to Cain. I almost entitled this message, The Mark of Cain is the Mercy of God. Because I don't know what that mark was, but I do know what it means. It means that the mercy of God was covering his life, protecting a murderer who treats his enemies like that, beloved. Our God is so incredibly merciful incredibly merciful. And there's more mercy that he poured upon Cain. But before I go there, I want to ask you a question. What do you think that the sin of Cain was? If you contemplate like his life and what he did, how, how would you name his sin? An obvious answer to that is that his sin was murder, right? I mean, he killed his brother. Murder's a horrible sin, a heinous sin. He certainly sinned in committing murder, but I think there was something deeper that happened before the murder, and that is, we might call it the betrayal of God, rebellion against God, lack of faith in God. Cain was not living a life of submission to the Lord. The Lord was speaking to him and speaking to him. His life was not right. He refused to submit to him, to cling to him, to love him, to listen to him, to worship him. And that's why his offering wasn't accepted, because he was living in rebellion. If Cain had not been living in rebellion, his offering would not have been rejected. He wouldn't have pouted and become so angry. He would not have overcome and killed his brother. He would not have been cursed from the ground. He would not have been banished into loneliness for the rest of his life. It was not primarily murder that was the sin of Cain, but breaking faith with God, refusing to humbly submit himself to God. John Anderson often says when he's leaving my presence at least, keep the faith. And I love it when he says that because he means cling to God, believe in God, trust in God, hope in God, submit your life to God, live with God. And I need Him and I need you and you need me to remind you to cling to the Father. All of our sin results from not clinging to God. You see, Cain's sin was relational at the end of the day. He broke faith relationally with his father, and that led him to be overcome by his passions and controlled by his passions. So let's just be clear. This was a personal sin from Cain against God. Yes, his sin was against Adam and Eve. Yes, his sin was against Abel. But primarily, his sin was against God. And in that light, it just blows my mind, beloved, to see how merciful God was to this young man. He came, counseled him, instructed him, forgave him, protected him. Even though Cain had to live with the the consequences, he still had to be banished. God was there with him, making the best of what was left. And you see in verses 17 and 18 that the mercy of God just continued and continued. I think the meaning of these following verses is that Cain, a murderer, was not cut off from the face of the earth. Not only did God spare his life, but he spared his descendants. 
The next several verses recount his descendants all the way down to the sixth generation. I mean, think back to your great-grandparents and great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. I have no idea like who those people were, when they lived, where they were six generations ago. That's a long time ago. The Bible's trying to say God treated Cain mercifully and gave him a heritage on the earth. God could have cut him off, cut his name off. There are other people in the Bible to whom he did that, but not to Cain. He gave him a name. In the fifth generation, a guy named Lamech is born. And Lamech marries two women. This is the first case of polygamy we see in the Bible. Don't think that the Bible blesses polygamy. It records many things like murder that it does not bless. Polygamy is one thing. God does not bless, but it's a reality, so it's recorded. One way or the other, Lamech marries two people, and he has kids from them. You hear of, of, of two of his children on both sides there in the following verses. And where I see a continuing of the mercy of God is that these people were not only granted life, but they were farmers, they were musicians, artisans, and they were craftsmen. These people were not only granted life, they were granted talent. They were granted productivity. They were granted abilities that blessed other people. Farmers bless other people. Musicians bless other people. Craftsmen bless other people. And I see that, beloved, this is not the heritage you would expect of a murderer. God is saying, I poured my blessings on the lineage of Cain, although he deserved everything opposite of that. Everything opposite. And then there at the end, I think in verse 23 and 24, I believe it is, Lamech calls his wives to him and he says, listen, something really bad has happened. I'm going to embellish a little bit. Somebody attacked me and they wounded me and I had to defend myself. And so in self-defense, I killed a man. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, mine is seventy-sevenfold. What does he mean by that? I, I, I racked my brain for a, at least 24 hours. Like, Lord, what is that about? It finally hit me what that's about. Cain was protected by the mercy of God and he was guilty of murder. He should not have done what he did. And God protected him sevenfold over. Lamech had to defend his life and do a horrible thing. I hope nobody, I hope I never have to kill anybody, but I tell you, if someone breaks into my house and threatens my family, if I have to, I will take their life. That would be a tragedy, but I would be in the right. Lamech was in the right, and he's saying, listen, if the mercy of God is so great toward a guilty sinner, it's even greater, 77-fold toward one who did do a horrible thing, but because they had to. There was justice to their act. At first, when I read this chapter, I thought, well, maybe those verses are saying that the heritage of a murderer is murder. But the more I looked into it, I thought, no, that's not at all what's being said. What's being said here is that the heritage of one who humbled himself and received the mercy of God, the heritage of that person is tremendous mercy all the way down to the sixth generation. I see even more mercy in the final two verses as Adam and Eve, I'm sure, cried out to the Lord. This had to be so hard for them. One of their children is killed. The other is essentially put in prison, banished away from them. This had to be so hard. So I'm sure they cried out to the Lord. And it says there in verse 25, Adam knew his wife again, and they bore another son named Seth. What a great mercy that God replaced the one with the other. And if you look at genealogies after this story, you'll see that Adam's line is traced through Seth, not through Cain, but through Seth. 
that is just another, another display, beloved, of the mercy of God in the life of a family who experienced a great, great tragedy. I don't know exactly what that last line is doing in chapter 4. I'll be very honest about that. At that very time, it says, people began to call on the name of the Lord. I've really for days been asking the Lord, please help me, and, and I just, I just don't, I'm not clear why that's there. But this morning as I was praying about it again, I just thought it must have something to do though with the fact that God had just displayed His mercy in so many ways in different kinds of situations. And people looked and, and said, the Lord is merciful. He's good. I can call on Him. Even if I murder, I can call on God. If I have to kill somebody and I'm just, I can call on God. If I'm an artisan, I can call on God. If I'm a craftsman, I can call on God. A farmer, I can call on God. In those days, somehow, human beings got the point, live your life by calling on God. And I just have to believe it was an overflow of mercy that caused that to happen. Beloved, I have never read this story quite this way. I've read this story many, many times over the last 24 years. I never have seen it as such a display of the mercy of God. For days I was just meditating on this and just the beauty of it was landing upon me. Friday morning I woke up at 5 in the morning, normally get up at 5.30, but this day, whatever reason, I just woke up at 5 and I just felt like soaked in the mercy of God. I felt overwhelmed by it. My body even felt warm. I just felt like, God, you are so merciful. And as I laid there thinking about His mercy, not only in the life of Cain, but in my own life as well, even in recent days, how God has poured His grace on me, how He's been so patient with me, long-suffering, kind, forgiving. I just thought through the years of our marriage and our family and just all the mercy God has poured upon us. I just, honestly, beloved, I just felt like overwhelmed. It's like, God, You are so merciful. I mean, He's so great, but He's so tender incredibly tender and merciful. So about 5.30, I got up, I opened my journal, I just started pouring my heart out to the Lord, telling Him all these things. And you got to see, throughout the week, the, the phrase kept going through my mind, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I it must have a hundred times gone through my mind this week. So I journaled about all this stuff. I opened my Bible to the daily reading. I did not plan this. It just sort of happened to be uh, Exodus 34, 35, and 36. I got only six verses into my reading, and here's the words that I came across. It touches me to think about it even now. God was revealing His glory to Moses up on the mountain. And of all the things He could have said, when He revealed His being for the first time in the history of earth like this, here's what He said. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord... A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, overflowing with steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, or some, some versions say to the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. When I read those words that morning, just like my eyes did right now, my eyes filled with tears because the Lord so often does this. He, like He speaks into your life 
And then He brings confirmations from His Word to show you that indeed, my son, that was me speaking to you. That was me waking you up at five in the morning to help you bask, to soak in the mercy of God. And I want you to see from the beginning, I've revealed myself as a God so incredibly merciful. And the story of Cain is simply a a display of what could happen in your own life if you will just humble yourself before me. So beloved, that morning I just, I finished my reading, but then I came back to this text and I just prayed, Lord, help me to humble myself before you. And I pray that for us now. I pray that everyone in this room who needs mercy, and I would suppose that's all of us, that in whatever way God would move us, that we would humble ourselves before Him because He's more merciful than we can imagine. I prayed for you from that morning, Friday morning, to this morning. And as I've prayed, I've just had a sense that some people are carrying tremendous burdens. Maybe you've sinned a sin in the past, and you just feel like like you've been living with a burden of something you've done, like an abortion or something like that. It's like something, it's so heavy, it's like paralyzing. And I just know God wants to say to you, I release you by my mercy today. Let Him lift the load off of you. Some of you, I just have this sense, are trying to like live this life where you're pleasing to God and you can't do it. You're failing and failing and failing. You can never make yourself good enough. And I just believe the Lord would say to you, just cease striving and rest in me. Live by my mercy. My mercy in Christ. That's what this table is about. The mercy that overwhelms our sins. God is a merciful God. And beloved, I pray that even this moment we would receive His mercy into our lives. So let's pray now in that way. I want to say something and then give you a few minutes to just let the Lord deal with you. And then we'll sing our closing song and receive the mercy of the Lord. Father, I just love You for how You operate. I love You, Father, for being near to me this whole week, Father, as I've read the story. Started last Sunday afternoon just reading, praying, thinking. God, You know more than anybody how tender and shepherding You've been with me this week as You've spoken Your mercy into my life through this story. And now, Father, I pray that You would multiply that gift that You gave to me by speaking Your mercy into all of our lives. I don't know just how You would do it, Father, but I trust in You. I hope in You. And I pray now, Father, that as Steve plays quietly and we just sit in silence for a few minutes, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that You would minister Your mercy to us for Your glory and our joy. I see a vision in my mind of you at the base of the steps of your throne down on your knees with your arms open wide saying all who will come, come I see men and women and children coming with tears in their eyes burdens on their shoulders but hope in their heart because their God is a great God and he's also a merciful God Father I see you embracing your children hugging them, helping them, forgiving them, speaking your mercy over them. And how I love you for this, Lord. How I love you for who you are. 
God, I pray that it would not just be a picture in my mind, but that it would be a reality in our hearts, Lord. Oh God, we need so much mercy. Lord, there's literally nothing in us to commend us to yourselves. We have nothing to bring, Father. But we have a great hope because you are a great God and a gracious God. And so we thank you, Father. Please, Lord, continue to do your work now as we rise to sing, as we fellowship for a while afterwards. God, please continue to minister your mercy into our lives through Jesus Christ. And it's in your matchless and mighty and merciful name that we pray.